Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. I must tell you again how I am so personally blessed as I study and prepare uh, for these messages each week. And especially so because of the way in which we follow through verse upon verse and precept upon precept. By our doing it this way, we're able to gain so much more and have such a much better grasp of these special truths of God, uh, following thought upon thought and truth upon truth. Last week we studied verses 14 through 16, and they do stand alone, but they also are connected to these next verses, 17 through 19. And and uh, I, I hope to focus upon verses 17 through 19 in this message. But let me just go ahead and read them again and think through these as I read them. For this reason, uh, this is the Apostle Paul. It's the Holy Spirit writing through his mind. Uh, he's saying, for this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, that's the foundation. The Holy Spirit is who gives us the strength to begin to understand, and to begin to comprehend uh, these things of God. And so he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that's the, the point that I want us to consider as we go through this uh, message this morning, that you then, that us, you and I, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is this breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Now last week I posed a question to us asking, what is real and true Christianity? And especially, how is Christianity supposed to present itself within our souls, within your soul, your personal soul, within mine? How is this Christianity supposed to look to us? And is Christianity simply that which we see being lived out in our modern day church? People doing their best to follow the system of Christian principles laid out for them in these scriptures, faithfully attending church, running to and fro, especially in some of our larger churches, uh, where there is so much involvement in religious activities. Is that real and true Christianity? And I asked us that last week. And I want us to consider it again today. Is it enough that we have our system of checklists, of things to do, and of ways to behave? 
Or is Christianity something different, something more? Now, I recognize that I am repeating myself in saying these words so often from this pulpit. But please do bear with me. I must keep saying them because as we observe this modern day church that we are a part of, it really does seem that we are being led down those same failed paths that the scribes and the Pharisees took. While trying to do good and wholesome things, such as following church principles, which they certainly did, those scribes and Pharisees, faithfully attending church, which they certainly did, having our checklists, which they did also, tithing to the very smallest uh, income that they had, involving ourselves in church activities. Those are all really good things to do. And they're helpful. They're helpful to us and they're helpful to others. But as I said to us last week, those are not nearly enough. Real and true Christianity is something very different and that difference is being spelled out for us here in these words of our scripture text today. Simply put, Christianity is nothing short of a deep, intimate, and loving relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. A relationship in which he actually moves in and becomes one with us in our heart, in our soul, our mind, and our spirit. One in which the Spirit of Christ actually takes up a moment-by-moment indwelling presence within us. One in which we intentionally allow him to actually guide and control all the thoughts and activities and behaviors that take place in our life each day. Now, unfortunately, for most of us, such an intimate relationship does not come easily. And with some people, as with me, the process has so many ups and downs, delays and stumbles. Sometimes it even gets put on the shelf for a while causing me to wonder why God just doesn't give up on us, give up on me personally. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He will not ever give up. Folks, I am his son. If you have Christ as your Savior, you are his son. We're described as his son. And he loves me. He loves you. I can trust his love. You can trust his love. And then besides all of that, God does not waste those occasions of our stumbling and falling and making a mess out of circumstances and relationships. He simply uses those occasions as teaching opportunities. And I have to confess to you that most of my best learning opportunities have come from my worst failures. And that bespeaks Romans 8.28 that we quote to ourselves and to each other Uh, so often that all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. I think in terms of just as a small child must be allowed to, to toddle without our constantly holding them up, so also God's indwelling presence, though it never leaves us, is able to... He, he holds back his big hand 
so that we can toddle through some of our spiritual experiences. And while still protecting us from a a really bad fall, he selectively uses every one of those circumstances that we go through as as a teaching moment. God is a good and loving Father. Always attentive to our needs. And you and I have to see him on that intimate level. My mind goes to a few days ago as I was uh, working in the yard with our oldest son Jason and little Emma. We, As we were doing our work, I watched Jason turning his head constantly, intentionally always watching out for Emma to make sure that she was safe stopping her from doing things that might hurt her, but involving her in what we were doing. He's a loving father. God the Father is that attentive and so much more to the very details of all that we're doing all through our day. And he always knows exactly what must take place in our lives for us to grow. And may I remind us that God will often use hands of other people to help us along our journey of growth. I thank the Lord for my dear and faithful wife as she so often to her own hurt patiently walks with me through my foolish stumbling. She's a treasure to me. But we also must know that God will sometimes use some not so loving hands in our training, in our upbringing because they are all out there. As I look back over many of my times of stumbling, I remember some of those not-so-loving hands, people who were not looking out for my best interest. But then again, God is always faithful to oversee my training and my discipline. I'm I'm his son. And he will only allow trials that are necessary for my best interest. God's manner of parenting is truly parenting at its best. Now here in these words, God is focusing on love and his love for us. And he is especially desirous of our understanding love from his perspective and not from some of the corrupted versions that we so quickly reach for. May I read these words again? He uses these words that you you and I, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Folks, God is God and his love is pure and holy. And it's not uh, only filled with his mercy and affection. His love also has justice and accountability. And those are elements of love that are hard for us to understand and accept, especially in the manner that he brings them to us. And contrary to popular thinking, God is not that grandfatherly kind of personality that we so often ascribe to him, that lenient, well, I'll let you get away with this one this time. That kind of tolerance 
it simply is not God. God loves us, but he is also ever and always holy. And you and I must not ask him to give up his holiness. He will not anyway, but you and I should not be asking him to. So then, please, may we commit ourselves to accepting God as he really is and not as we might like him to be. I think in terms of Isaiah 44, I think it is. 43 or 44, I believe it is. He speaks of how a man goes out and he cuts down a tree and he takes a portion of it and he uses it for firewood, but he takes another portion and he begins to carve out this God, this idol. And once he gets it carved out, he uses some of what uh, is left over to build a fire. But then he puts the rest of it up And he bows down to it and he says, now save me. You and I remake God in that same fashion. We decide how we want him to be. And once we have made him that in our mind, we say, now save me. That's not God. So, may we please commit ourselves to accepting God as he really is and not as we might like him to be. And may I remind us of the special truth that's being put forth in these words here today, that God really isn't just someone who walks beside us through the difficulties of our day, as some have interpreted the the word paraclete to mean. He does walk with us, yes. But so much, much more than that, He really and actually lives within us. Within our hearts, our souls, our minds. I want us to think about that. If you have received Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, the very Spirit of God is right at this moment living within you. Can you comprehend that? Or do you simply acquiesce to it? I confess I fall far short of understanding what that really means. But it's true. I have received Christ as my Savior and I am confident that God's Holy Spirit is right now filling my heart, my soul, and my mind. Though I don't comprehend it very well. And I want to. What does it mean? What does that truth mean? It means that my heart, your heart, first of all, is not that thing that the medical world wants us to understand it to be. It is not simply a physical organ, much like all the other organs of our bodies, with its sole purpose of just pumping blood. Yes, our heart does that. But our heart is, and it does, so much, much more. And neither is it the word heart that our some of our Bible scholars insist, that is a metaphor for just our inner being. It is that. But again, it is so much, much more. God is very intentional when he uses this word heart. And I want us to somehow move on past this concrete idea that we have of it just being some kind of throbbing organ within our chest. It is so much more. It has 
capabilities far beyond that which any ordinary lump of flesh might have within it. And please bear with me. I know that this sounds mystical. But listen to the words of Jeremiah 17, here in, in uh, beginning in verse 9. God says of your and my heart, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man, every woman, according to their way, according to the fruits of their deeds. God's describing to the heart, not that it's just a metaphor for what we are in our inner being. He's describing our heart. And he's saying, you come into this life with it being desperately wicked. It's the wellspring of all forms of sinfulness. And folks, may I add, contrary to those sweet-sounding words of advice that's often given between friends where they say, just listen to your heart. May I say no? Don't do that. Listen instead to these words in Matthew 15, verse 18. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. The heart. It's not a simple organ. And it's not some metaphor. It is who we are and it is taking place within our own chest. But then again, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God from the very first moment that we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, our heart is changed. And it becomes the home of our God. It becomes the home of our God. In our new birth, a place was made for God and he moved in and he took up residence permanently. Why would God do that? I mentioned it a moment ago. It's because when we are born again, when we are born from above, we truly do become his sons, his daughters, his children. In Romans 8, we're told that we become much like Christ himself. Listen, this is Romans 8. Uh, beginning in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Notice that last sentence. Receiving Christ as our Savior is just the beginning. You and I have to be willing to suffer with him and not give up. No life won't look like we think it ought to. Probably most of the time. But we must suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. In our salvation, you and I are forever joined as one with the Lord Jesus. And as our scripture here tells us, he lives within us. He actually dwells within us. Close enough, if we're willing to listen, close enough 
for us to feel his presence and to hear his still small voice, the scripture says, speaking truth. He will speak truth into my thoughts and my ideas and my behavior if I'll listen. I think I've said to you on another occasion, but uh, I love my patio in the evening. I go out on my patio and I take uh, my scripture or some other uh, scriptural type help. And I'll sit out there and I'll drink my tea or coffee and smoke my pipe. And I'll say to the Lord, Lord, I've talked to you most all my life. But I haven't listened to you. Lord, speak to me. Talk to me. I want to know you. And I want to know what you want to say to me. He'll talk with me. He'll often, almost always use whatever it is I'm reading. He'll speak to me. Now again, all these things I'm saying, they, they seem redundant because it was just a few weeks ago that I was, uh, gave a, another message on God's indwelling spirit. But when God keeps saying these things over and over again, we have to keep saying them over and over again ourselves in these messages. And that's what I'm doing here today. These words that I've read to us today, they bring two important points into focus. First, that Christ himself is filling and indwelling the far reaches of our heart. And then the most important reason for his indwelling presence within us is that our love, and specifically, that we personally would be able to comprehend the love that he has for us and that we should have back for him, what it should really be like. To grasp uh, the extent, as he says here, the, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of it. The kind of divine love that goes far beyond that, the, the knowledge and the rationale kind of human love that our minds fathom. These words here tell of a divine kind of love that is comprehensible only if we have the fullness of God dwelling within us. It's that kind of selfless love that filled the heart of God, the Father, when he sent his only son to die on the cross and to pay the penalty for our sin. There's the same kind of selfless love that filled the heart of the Lord Jesus when he agreed with God the Father and, and conceded, not my will, but thine be done. Same kind of selfless love that the Holy Spirit has within him as he grieves, as he grieves when he sees us deny the precious gifts of mercy and grace that God the Father and, and the Lord Jesus offer to us. Praise be to God, you and I who have Christ as our Savior really do have and are filled with the fullness of God. That's a truth. That's a truth. Are you ready to receive that understanding? All you have to do, all I have to do is surrender myself, yourself, to Him. Now, I use that word often, surrender. What does it mean? It means that, as we read in Jeremiah 17, 9, we came into this world with this firm hold upon our claim to our right to ourself. A kind of death grip with its only remedy that we must die before that grip can be released. Now that sounds harsh, but it is necessary. God doesn't just clean up our old self. Self must die. 
It cannot be allowed to remain within us. Self is always, ever and always corrupt and incorrigible. It can never be cleaned up. Self must die in order for God to complete what He has begun in us. But as we who have been struggling with this matter to surrender can testify, it's the hardest thing that we'll ever do. The hardest thing we'll ever do, and it is impossible under our own efforts. So then, how do we do it? I'm convinced that it begins with this. It begins with us surrendering to and allowing God to be fullness within us. And it's only then that that claim to my right to myself gets released. That that hold upon my claim to my right to myself. We can turn loose of it. It is only as God's indwelling presence is able to whisper His truth into our soul each moment that our corrupt heart then becomes truly changed. And my question for you is this, as I close. Are you ready? Am I ready? Are you ready to do something about it? Are you really ready to be serious about it? In a book that I read recently by Andy Andrews, he pictures these three seagulls sitting on a pier. One of them decides to fly to China. How many is left? Three. Simply making the decision doesn't get you off the pier. Doesn't get you anywhere. Are you, am I ready to actually do something about this thing that we've been reading about here today? Christianity is far more than just a good set of principles to live by. But until we actually move on into this relationship and belief that we're talking about here today, we will forever remain where we are. God really does want to live within us. He wants to fill our heart and our soul with His presence. Are we ready to ask Him to do that? Are you and I really ready to be serious with Him. These words again as we close. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ, listen, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God.